Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, good morning, and you know I was talking to Adam and Devin, who is on my team in uh, in Tupelo, and we were all saying, you know, we just kind of feel like we have presidential letdown this morning because <laughs> because yesterday we had such a, a great interview with uh, President Donald J. Trump, and if you missed that, you can go to AFR.net, hear the entire uninterrupted, unedited interview because of course we are not fake news here we don't uh, do all the edits and um, you know edit and warp everything out of context um, but you know but but how do you really follow that up so you know um, I, I do have my coffee this morning and uh, you know we were we were just trying to all encourage each other this morning that you know hey we're still back in the studio but we are though going to keep on the presidential theme and that's why I had to at least um, get someone as uh, you know, close to the presidential amazingness of Donald Trump uh, to be my my first guest um, after President Trump and keep within that theme because there was a very interesting Politico piece uh, that came out this week that says the CEO of Anti-Woke Incorporated or Anti-Woke Inc. has his eye on the presidency. And I open this and it's none other than my good friend Vivek Ramaswamy. And if you don't know Vivek, you should, and uh, you probably have because he is all over uh, the the media. He has uh, been all over um, meetings. I personally have been at two conferences in the last uh, about two and a half weeks that he has been the keynote speaker. So he has been everywhere, um, and everyone wants to hear from him because he is uh, really dynamic, and he is also uh, one of the uh, older millennials, so actually in my same age group, and um, and I think that is really amazing um, that someone in my generation now has potentially his eye on the presidency. Um, but this is a piece that you really need to read, and you also need to read his book uh, that is just called Woke Inc. Um, this is a condemnation of uh, CRT, critical race theory, but it's also in the context of how Woke is taking over uh, corporations. And um, so I'd like to now welcome uh, Vivek. And, and, and Vivek, I know that uh, you probably won't be making an announcement on the show today, but, but feel free. So, you know, what was your reaction to, to this Politico piece? And good morning. Good morning. Yeah, good to talk to you. I, you know, to be honest, I think that sometimes we obsess too much over the question of the who without asking first the question of the what and the why. What do we stand for as a movement? For that matter, what does it mean to be American today? You ask, you talk about people our age. Ask most people our age or younger what it means to be an American in the year 2023. You get a blank stare in response. And I just think that is an opportunity for the GOP to fill that void, to fill that vacuum of American national identity with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda to irrelevance. It's just that we are, as a people, so hungry for a cause, for purpose and meaning and identity, especially young people in this country, yet we lack faith and patriotism and hard work and family. Those are the things that used to fill that vacuum. And so that's why we lurch to these new secular religions like 
climatism or covidism or transgenderism or wokeism. They're really just secular religions, but they're preying on an identity crisis at the heart of the American soul. And so I am on a mission just as a citizen. Yes, I've, I've had success as a capitalist, but speaking of my capacity as a citizen, I think we can fill that void. I think that's what the conservative movement needs to do. I think it will be good for this country. And, and yes, I am giving serious thought to a presidential campaign and pursuing the presidency as the way to most effectively do that. But to me, that's what this is about, reviving national identity. And whether it's me or somebody else, that's the less important question. I think we need to focus on the what and the why, nail that as a movement, define the agenda, and then the question of who is going to best effectuate that agenda, that question comes next. And I'm talking with Vivek Ramaswamy, who is the author of Woke Inc. And Vivek, I love how you phrase that, uh, focusing on the what and to reclaim our national uh, identity and what it means to be an American rather than on the who, because I do think that there has been an emphasis in the wake of the MAGA movement Um, Even though that is a movement and that is based in ideology, it's based in America first principles, our founding principles, there has really been a a who mentality of that um, and and almost a divisiveness. um, And especially if you go and look at at Twitter and, you know, is it going to be Donald Trump versus you know, whether it's Ron DeSantis or versus whoever else. And we are often, even as conservatives, focusing on the who instead of rallying together uh, behind the what. And so I think that is very um, a profound viewpoint shift that you are articulating, because if we are going to reclaim our founding principles and we are going to push back against the new religion of woke ideology, then we do need to focus on the what first and then just say, OK, who is best fit to carry out that mission? And so um, as you have been looking at you know, woke as as the new religion. Um, this has really infiltrated uh, not only our schools, but it's also infiltrated boardrooms. And what have you encountered? And and I think you have a really fascinating story of why uh, you wrote the what in your book. Um, but what have you personally encountered that that really prompted you to get into this space and to write this book? It's what I saw through my firsthand experiences, Jen. I mean, I was a biotech CEO. Okay, and before that, I was a biotech investor, and before that, I trained in molecular biology. This, the world I'm in now <laughs> with, with you is not the world that I first began my career in, and it was eye-opening. I mean, first of all, after the tragic death of George Floyd, there were you know, effectively an uprising of young people at my company that demanded that I make a statement in solidarity with Black Lives Matter that I just wasn't prepared to make. There were biotech industry associations that wanted to issue condemnation of Trump's immigration orders, which I refused to do because I'm not going to inauthentically put my name on something that I don't believe just because that's actually what might be most convenient. And yet I looked in the mirror and realized that I could I had to face a choice. Either I could speak freely as a citizen or I could speak through the corporate filter of self-interest, but I couldn't do both at the same time. And that was a wake-up call to me that something had gone wrong, badly wrong, in the American economy and in our culture and in the intersection between the economy and our culture that needed to be fixed. And yet every one of the other CEOs who in private would tell me that they felt they saw the same problem were not willing to even publicly do anything other than tow the progressive party line. And so I decided to defect from that. And also there's a part of this that I also should talk about, which is 
one of the biggest external threats that the United States faces today, and I have been you know, probably the most vocal critic of it, is China, the rise of communist China, an enemy who we depend on to power our modern way of life. You heard me talk about that extensively in one of the speeches that you were referring to in, in recent weeks. And I, and I put such a fine point on it because I've seen that firsthand, too. I've been an ex- back, I was a student at Harvard. I did an exchange program in the spring with the Harvard of China, Beida. I did, I've done business in China. I've seen it firsthand, and China is further exploiting this arranged marriage between American progressives and American businesses because what they get them to do is to criticize the United States relentlessly without saying a peep about China. That is actually the geopolitical weapon that might be the most potent of all because it undermines the United States' moral standing on the global stage. And so for me, I've seen these things firsthand. And the fact that no other business leader, and I really mean almost none, really, Xi Jinping is the master of Tim Cook and Larry Fink, who are his circus monkeys, it frustrated me. And so I decided to you know, defect from my class, if you will, and decide a new journey as a citizen. I wrote a pair of books. I write, you know, I've written dozens of op-eds in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere, traveled the country, been on media. More recently, I started Strive. One of the lessons for me uh, at Strive was you have to make certain commitments on day one if you're going to be true to your mission. On day one, I said Strive is not going to do business in China, period, because we couldn't be a good fiduciary to our U.S. clients if we did. And, and I just think that this is, this is something that anyone who has seen what I see knows to be true, yet is refusing to say out loud. There is this gap between what people are willing to say in private and what people are willing to say in public. And I think the best measure of the health of American democracy, our constitutional republic, is the percentage of people who feel free to say what they actually think in public. We're doing so poorly today that the only way to fix that problem is for each of us to start talking openly again. And so I didn't want to just start talking about talking openly. I actually wanted to start doing it. That's why I've been doing what I've been doing over the last three years. But I am now looking at how I can take this to the next level, not just to identify and analyze and complain about the problem, though there's some role for that too, but now to say, how do we go upstream and solve it? How do we solve that national identity crisis? How do we redefine and rediscover American identity around basic principles like merit, that you get ahead on the content of your contributions rather than the color of your skin or free speech and open debate in this country? democratic self-governance, making sure the people we elect to run the government are who would have ever thought, the people who actually run the government, and recognize unapologetically, despite business interests, that China is the single greatest threat that we will face, and we need to align our policies accordingly. These are basic American rules of the road. I think that's the agenda that the conservative movement needs to be focused on. And, you know, focus on that and good things will happen. And, And I love the way you said it. MAGA, America First, these are big ideas, bigger than any one man or woman, okay? Bigger than Donald Trump, bigger than Ron DeSantis, bigger than me, bigger than Nikki Haley, bigger than anybody else. And and we need to get out of this mentality to think that any one person has a monopoly on those ideas when, in fact, we are in servants. We are servants as, as each of us, as citizens, as of a civic duty to advance those ideas that put our nation, America First, Again, and I just think that once we get that agenda right, the rest becomes a lot easier. Well, Vivek Ramaswamy, who sounds very presidential, and uh, I would love to see you jump in this race for exactly the reasons that you are articulating, uh, because you're right. This is 
much bigger than one person. And our founders recognized that when they gave us the opportunity through uh, the greatest form of government that has ever been created uh, in human existence to give us the opportunity uh, to advance a more perfect union and to say that they didn't think that government uh, was just of them and that they got it right. They said, we will give you the mm-hmm. tools to continue this experiment and this project. And our generation really needs to get in the game because if we leave it up to uh, the the older and wiser and say, okay, we're just going to sit back and um, kind of inherit what you are striving for in the older generation, it's time for us to not just accept the baton, but take it. And to say, we have to be engaged citizens enough that we are willing to be engaged at the highest levels of office. And uh, and this kind of thing, I really hope, uh, Vivek, that you know, seeing you on that stage, uh, on the debate stage, I think would be amazing um, just in terms of, of representing the younger generation, but hopefully um, to try to prompt everyone else and especially the voters, uh, but the others on that stage to agree with you that principles matter. So in um, in just the last about two minutes I have with you, um, President Trump in his interview with me yesterday uh, said and affirmed that he believes that, that woke is a religion and it goes against um, the Establishment Clause, among other things. And when you're talking about compelled speech and you're talking about not being able to uh, participate in the public square, what do you think is like the number one focus point that the presidential office could do, of course, um, mm. in connection with Congress, <laughs> that could effectuate that? So there are so many on this list, Janice. You're limiting me with just one, but I'll give you, I'll give you two. Okay. One okay. is we need to make political expression a civil right in this country. To say that if you can't fire somebody because they're black or gay or Muslim or white or Jewish or Hindu or whatever, you should not be able to fire them just because they're an outspoken conservative or an outspoken anything. You do not make people choose in this country between speaking their mind freely and putting food on the dinner table. We're the nation where you get to do both of those things at once, especially if we have those other protected classes. And then there's another one I'll give you, which is the president of the United States needs to eliminate affirmative action in America, can do it by executive Mm. order. And I'll have much more to say to you about that later, but get rid of that. Excellent. Well, 100%. Vivek, I'm so excited that you are joining the show. You'll be a regular guest, so everyone will hear from him more, and we'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) 
If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Bill Haggerty, Senator from Tennessee. He is the state's junior senator and the former U.S. ambassador to Japan. 1 Peter 4.10 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Senator Bill Haggerty as he represents the people of Tennessee. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. California lawmakers want to ban public schools from punishing bad behavior in the classroom. A Senate bill would prohibit schools from suspending disruptive and defiant students. Lawmakers say that black male students are disproportionately impacted by suspensions. Senator Nancy Skinner is the bill's author. She's a Democrat. She says non-heterosexual and non-white students are more likely to be suspended for bad behavior. Clearly, Senator Skinner has not spent much time in public school classrooms. Her legislation will basically handcuff teachers and lead to anarchy in the schoolhouse. Correcting bad behavior is not racism, it's tough love, putting a kid back on the straight and narrow. I went to grade school at Hope Sullivan Elementary in South Haven, Mississippi. I distinctly remember the principal, a no-nonsense guy, patrolling the hallways with a fiberglass paddle. Let's just say there were no discipline problems at Hope Sullivan. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And uh, that was breaking news this morning that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is confirming he is considering a presidential run. And um, I was actually texting with him through uh, through the break, and he's been a good friend for several years. Um, so I, I was saying I'm really glad that he's he is uh, considering jumping into the race. And um, I, I immediately, as soon as I saw that political article, said, you got to come on. And um, and he's just a really uh, excellent, I think, visionary in terms of um, seeing that America really needs to be reshaped from these kind of cult personality following uh, to to principles. And I loved the way that he articulated that. And of course, um, you know, we do follow individuals. Um, you know, we all love and respect Donald Trump, um, love and respect, you know, a lot of other people in various spaces, and not just in politics, uh, but also in media and philosophy in, um, you know, wide variety of disciplines. And, and that's okay, as long as we recognize that it's adherence to principles 
that matter and that we all should be driving together as conservatives to achieve that goal uh, rather than being um, so divisive over the personalities. I think um, that was just very, very well articulated, especially coming off of uh, the heels of yesterday's interview with uh, President Trump. And I really appreciated hearing from so many callers. We didn't even get to all of you uh, yesterday who were calling in and and wanting to uh, comment on that interview. And of course, you can go uh, to AFR.net and you can still uh, give us your thoughts. And uh, we always love opening the phone lines here. Uh, but I want to get to my next guest, who is also a good friend, uh, Jeremy Ryan Slate. He is uh, the host of the uh, of his own podcast. So you can uh, follow him at JeremyRyanSlate.com, of course, on social media. And uh, and I was actually privileged to be on his podcast um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about this concept of justice and what that means as a foundational uh, biblical principle and then how that has to be manifest in our American society and um, and had a really, really great conversation. And so don't want to repeat that today because I want you to go and listen to his podcast. Um, this was a 40-minute discussion on this. Um, but I wanted to, to go back with Jeremy this morning and focus uh, still on this whole notion of woke being a religion, um, because that that's something that I think is a concept that we need to, as, as Christian conservatives, advance more in our conversation surrounding uh, politics and the greater scope of of the cultural perspective. Because if we look at the First Amendment and we look at how uh, Congress and the federal government are prohibited, prohibited by the First Amendment from establishing a religion, from compelling us to participate in uh, actions and speech and any other conduct that violates our sincerely held religious beliefs, then what else is it for wokeism besides that very form of compelled speech that the First Amendment prohibits for the left to say, you have to affirm uh, these multiple genders. You have to affirm individual people's pronouns. You have to, uh, selected pronouns. You have to affirm uh, this type of ideology that's being taught in the classroom. Uh, You have to affirm climate change as a health crisis. You have to be compelled to get a vaccine. Um, All of these things are problems and are rooted ultimately in a concept of religion. Because what is religion but a worldview. And everyone, as my good friend uh, Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries uh, likes to say, and uh, you know, he has some great books as well that I would highly commend uh, to you if you haven't read Jeff Myers, um, you know, Understanding the Times and a lot of his other books, um, he always talks about how um, everyone has a religion, even if they don't consider it that, or even if they don't know. All of us have a viewpoint that informs how we define and look at this idea of reality and the truth, our concepts of truth, and how we view the empirical world around us. Um, so with that, let's bring on uh, Jeremy Slate. And and Jeremy, um, you know, you are a fellow uh, Christian, you're a conservative, and, um, you know, as we're talking about woke being a religion, um, I really think that that's the best way constitutionally for us as conservatives to go on the offensive and attack these types of compelled speech. What do you think? 
I, I would agree with you 100 percent. And I have to give James Lindsay a lot of credit on this, too, because I've read a lot of his work around it. And, and he talks about um, a lot of where, you know, the, the current issues we're dealing with actually comes from liberation theology getting into colleges. And, and the thing that's interesting is my, my undergrad degree is in, in uh, world religions. And when I was in school, I had to read a lot of liberation theology and things like that. And what they're actually doing is taking the religious element and putting in Marxism in the place. So you're, you're taking these universities and you're basically turning out kids that um, are just woke ideologues rather than, you know, people that can think and, and do something and actually um, create an effect in society. So it's creating this this strange kind of cultural revolution of, of a lot of what you would see, you know, like during Mao or something like that of people that have these ideas, but at the same time, they don't have any life skills. So they can't produce things. They can't build businesses. They can't do whatever. So they require the government to kind of like keep them alive and fund them. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's and that's so true. And I'm talking with uh, Jeremy Ryan Slate, who is the host of a Create Your Own Life podcast and um, really excellent. And, and I, and I, agree with you as well. Um, a lot of credit to our, our good friend, James Lindsay, who um, has a lot of really important work on this topic and the broader scope of critical theory. Um, wrote a good book called uh, Race Marxism that I would also highly commend um, everyone listening today. You're going to be building your library out <laughs> the more that you listen uh, to this show because uh, there are so many really good books um, to read, even you know, new ones, but also ones of the past. But um, you know, but this this Jeremy to me is so is so fascinating because even though the left uh, wants to excise God from society, they are falling prey to original sin, which is that we want to we as humans want to be like God. That was the original sin where um, Satan said to to Eve in the garden, "You can be like God." And that's what they're doing when they excise God. It's not that we have this completely secular, every person can determine for themselves anything, and now there is no God. There will always be these God substitutes. And wokeism um, has really become the replacement mindset for, for God. And so this idea of our identity being wrapped up in our sexual orientation or our gender or aspects of our own humanity um, not only is uh, is very secular humanist um, but it is it is within uh, these types of um, other brands of theology that are a perspective on God so um, so from from your perspective you know looking more at a starting at a worldview standpoint because Politics is downstream from culture, but culture is downstream from worldview. Where do you think the emphasis then needs to be for Christians to first inform our worldview so that we can inform politics? Well, I think there's a couple different things here. And I think the first is kind of understanding what's happening here. Because if you, if you look, you know, as God being or God creating man, man innately needs God. And there's a place in that, you know, in our being for that. And what they're really trying to do um, is make us totally a body, right? Like remove the spiritual element and make it that, you know, this life is all that matters. And, you know, the, the things you follow here is all that matters. And, and when you look at it that way, it's a really big control mechanism. So what I think it comes back to is, you know, no matter what religion you follow, it's getting back to what is your spiritual practice and, and how are you furthering that in the family? Um, you know, I'm a father of two wonderful little girls, and, and you and I were discussing um, on my show, one of the big things we're doing now is my daughter's turning four is we're going to start with homeschooling. 
because we're concerned with a lot of the things that she's going to be learning in school, which, which are not things that my family agrees with. So I think it really has to do with, you know, starting at home and taking responsibility for, for what morals and values you're doing, what responsibilities are you giving your kids? Um, we live on about five acres here in New Jersey, and we have chickens and farm animals and all these sorts of things. My so you're a millionaire now. Robot, you're, you're a millionaire now that you have chickens. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the jokes I get about all the eggs. I get like eight to 10 every morning, but my, my two and my four-year-old walk out to the barn with their little baskets every morning and that's, that's their responsibility and they know they have to do it and they're excited for it. So it starts with putting those, you know, responsibilities on them, the morals and values of your family on them, but also at the same time, really stressing, you know, your spiritual practice at home. Like how, you know, are you reading the Bible at home? Are you praying at home? Are you doing these different things? Because what you create in the home is what is going to go out into the world. And, and that is why, um, you know, these ideologues want to take that away from you. You know, I know Hillary Clinton has always talked about the responsibility of the community to raise the kids, and that's how they do it. They take your kids away that way, and that's, and that's what actually ends up happening. Right. And I am such an advocate, of course, uh, for homeschooling as I was homeschooled myself um, all the way, you know, from kindergarten all the way through uh, high school graduation. And my parents uh, really not only gave me a great opportunity to learn how to think critically, how to analyze, um, and how to discover truth, um, as, as our founders put it, you know, self-evident truth. And, and, uh, we read all the way through the Bible every year. So by the time I graduated, um, I had read through the Bible, um, over a dozen times, um, with my family, but also my mom did something else that, um, really, I think was so brilliant that she started when we were younger, um, doing history, world history, starting with Mm -hmm. creation and then all the way chronologically through the major civilizations and not just what happened and not just, you know, what we typically learn about in school, which is, okay, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Or here's what the clothing of that era was or, you know, some of these other things, but really the worldview behind it, what was going on in the greater scope of of human history and world history that then informed uh, the later movements. And so, you know, looking at the Middle Ages and then why, what led to the Renaissance and Reformation and then what led, um, you know, ultimately to our founders wanting to pursue religious freedom. And that's so important. And I think when we look at the scope of world history and then coming into the rise of wokeism, um, and, and these are all great things that you can teach your kids in homeschooling, by the way. Um, you know, going back to our good friend James Lindsay, he terms what's happening as a religion in our society right now, actually not just secular humanism, but Gnosticism, which I think is mm-hmm. a brilliant observation because if we look at Gnosticism, it's this, uh, the Gnostic doctrine was basically that um, the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity or, you know, the, um, the demigods. And if we look at the application of that to what we term as experts in our society, if you look just at education, you know, talking about homeschooling, there are so many different, um, TikToks of which libs of TikTok puts out really well that, um, that show, preschool and kindergarten and elementary teachers saying, were the experts, how can parents possibly think that they could impart wisdom to their children when they haven't been indoctrinated, licensed, approved by the culture and by the, um, by the powers that be 
in order to be the experts that then impart wisdom. I mean, experts and expertise, I think, is a it has become a new religion and almost in a Gnostic fashion. Well, it's interesting because I think the, the issue with that, too, is if you look at our founders, you know, they were they were good at so many different things. And, you know, I, I don't like to say I'm an expert at many things, but, you know, I can fix just about anything around the house. I can fix my car. I can do a lot of different things because I've tried to have experience in them. And I, and I think what, what's happened in our society is we have this weird thing about taking responsibility for something. And if we say that someone else is responsible and expert, it's not our fault when it goes wrong. And I think what we have to learn is so many of what happens to us and, and even what we do is our own responsibility level. So when we can take a look at that and start realizing we have to be responsible for more of these things you know, in our life, that's really what we should be looking at. Because the, the whole expert economy is somebody saying, I don't want to be responsible and it's not my fault that I'm a victim and look at what happened to me. So at the same time, it's you don't have to be an expert at everything. I, I say the same thing in my business. You know, I don't have to be an expert at Google ads, but I have to know how they work well enough. So when I hire an agency or I hire somebody on my team, I, I know what's not going well. It's the same thing when it comes to your life, frankly. You have to understand a lot of these things so that when things go wrong or things aren't going right or something doesn't feel right to you, you have the ability to actually do something about it. Otherwise, you're just effect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's such a great point that, um, you know, who really determines the definition of of expert and what ultimately qualifies you? I mean, there are certain things like in my profession, you know, I'm a licensed attorney. And so there are a certain metric and baseline that, you know, the governing body, which is the Supreme Court of each state that uh, that regulates and then you know the attorney regulation body um, will then say, OK, we are now licensing you to then have a power of attorney on behalf of clients and you can go in and, and represent them. And, you know, the, but the overabundance of licensure and of of saying you are now an expert, so you are able to comment. I think this was so brilliantly put um, in front of the Tennessee legislature um, just last week with uh, Matt Walsh. We talked about it on this show that the, the uh, Democrat asked him in the context of opposing a gender mutilation surgery on minors. Well, what qualifies you to speak? You know, what's your expertise? And he said, he just goes, I have a brain. I, I can look around <laughs> and, and I mean, it's self-evident truth. But I think his bigger point, Jeremy, was that we don't have to, I, he doesn't have to be a healthcare expert and be indoctrinated into the leftist ideology to make that observation and to inform his elected representatives, his perspective. So and so, we're almost out of time here. But um, you know, Jeremy, I definitely want to have you uh, back on more regularly um, because you have such a great perspective on all these things. And I would encourage everyone um, to go to jeremyryanslate.com. He's the host of a Create Your Own Life podcast. Follow him at Jeremy Ryan Slate on Twitter. And we will be right back with more talking about woke ideology in the context of the Twitter files with Devin Nunez. We'll be right back. Isaiah says, we shall beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall we study war anymore. And I believe that day is definitely coming, that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will bring us prosperity, harmony, but that's not the world we live in yet. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. 
Sandy Rios 24-7. It's not a morning show. It's an all-day show fueled by the wit and wisdom of Sandy Rios. If you have a smartphone, I think you should download the AFR app. Sandy Rios 24-7 is on the podcast page at AFR.net. I have, you know, so many listeners from the radio show who are now listening to the podcast. Sandy Rios 24-7. You're in my prayers all the time. Sandy Rios 24-7 on the podcast page at AFR.net. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected their brother, Lazarus, Martha and Mary hosted a dinner party in their Bethany home. You can imagine the excitement and the buzz that swirled through the town and the number of people who came because the rabbi had returned. Martha busied herself with preparations. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, basking in his teaching. Life's demands can easily consume our focus. But one thing is necessary, that we remain at Jesus' feet, anchored in his word. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And uh, we are talking about this whole idea that, you know, woke is a new religion and uh, the rise of the expert class that are designated by Uh, the leftists, and if you've gone through their indoctrination camps of academia, then you too can become an expert, but not until they say so. And this isn't just for education. It's not just for professions that require licensing, but it's also for the media. And this whole idea of certain platforms and certain, uh, as President Trump would call it, the the fake news media, uh, this designation that only certain outlets, only the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, you know, a handful of legacy media are the purveyors and arbiters of truth. Uh, This really gets into this whole idea of Gnostic philosophy and doctrine that the left is trying to harness in the context of media. And so I'm very pleased to welcome uh, my friend and former member of Congress, who is now the CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, Devin Nunez. And uh, Devin, thanks so much for joining me this morning, because um, this is, I think, exactly what uh, TMTG 
is trying to do is saying we are going to circumvent the legacy media to get the truth and get a difference of viewpoint out to the people so that we don't have to simply rely on the so-called experts of leftism. Well, that's exactly right, Jen, and thanks for having me. It was great to see you last week at Miami with Judicial Watch and, and a lot of great people that were that were there. And it's exactly right. I mean, if you look at what the fake news has done over the and, and kind of how it's transformed over the last 15 years, where it went from center left to basically just, I wouldn't even say hard left, it's just narrative building for the left. Then what happened was the advent of social media. And kind of by 15, 2015, 2016, I think that was the height of social media being somewhat down the center. They tended to be libertarian. They tended to kind of stay out of politics. And Donald Trump, who I know you had on your show yesterday, he was the first one to successfully use social media to get around the fake news and go directly to the people. And I still believe to this day that the reason that President Trump did so well back in 2016 is because he snuck up on the left in the fake news and used Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to go and speak directly to the people. And then, of course, he supplemented that with the huge rallies that he did all over the, the country. And one, between both of them, they would build on each other. And that's effectively how, how President Trump you know, won the election and snuck up on Hillary Clinton. And of course, you know, then after that, they blamed, oh, Mike, it was Facebook because the Russians were buying ads on, on Facebook, which was all just a lie and fabrication. And so after to the 2016 election, Obama put pressure on Zuckerberg and the Googles of the world and all what I call the, the tech tyrants. And that's when they took the fake news and created what I call a disinformation funnel to where to your iPhone or your Android or your iPad or whatever you wherever you get your social media on, they began to use it as a filter. And what happened was, say, a Jenna Ellis post would get shadow banned. Now, a lot of people, what does shadow ban mean? It means it means that you may follow Jenna or you may follow Donald Trump or you may follow Devin Nunes, but you're not gonna you're not gonna see their posts unless you scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll or actually type it in and find their find their page. Or even then, sometimes, like in my case, Jenna, I couldn't even find anything on most of the platforms because you would type my name into to any search engine and you would just find you know, fake garbage from the fake news. And so that's why effectively that you know, you know, I left Congress once Parler was nuked from, from – you know, Parler was kind of an alternative that, we had, that, that, I, that I was on. Um, I had went to Rumble. Uh, but with all the shadow banning going on, and the final blow is when President Trump was booted off of all of social media, and Parler was nuked, and all of the rest of us were either shadow banned or kicked off all of social media. That's when President Trump knew he had to do something. He created True Social. Uh, I left Congress to run this, and really our goal is really simple. It's to open the Internet back up and give the American people their voice back, and we're doing that by building essentially a whole new internet superhighway that doesn't rely on any of the big tech companies. And that's really the difference in what we're building. So we're building, we're working, we have a, a really important partner in Rumble. Rumble is a YouTube alternative. Most of the conservatives are on there. I know that, that, that you're on there too, Jenna. 
And it's been a place where Rumble provides video, they provide a cloud service, and then we're building out an ad service with them so that we effectively control our own destiny. A Bill Gates or a Bezos, no matter how hard they try, they can't get rid of us or Rumble, which makes us very powerful. And that's why we grow and we're a real real threat uh, to the establishment and to the fake news. And I'm so grateful, uh, Devin Nunez, that you are uh, building this type of project because um, even my own presence, you know, you mentioned I'm on Rumble. Well, I am because um, I'm currently in a two-week timeout from YouTube. I couldn't post the interview from <laughs> from President so Trump you, there what yesterday. Did you, what did you? What did do I do? Wrong? Um, I talked about yeah. election integrity, and so you know, of course, there are these uh, these buzzwords on you know so a guest on on my podcast, uh, you know, came on and said something that that YouTube didn't like. And do they ever tell you uh, you know exactly? It's like no, this is just what we don't like. Well, that's hate speech now, right? So we never are exactly sure unless we know. Okay, well, you know, somebody said something. It's probably you know Mike Lindell coming on my podcast or something, you know. And of course, he'll always give us a strike. But but really, this is silencing speech because um, I actually didn't even know that I was in. A two-week timeout until I talked to my podcast producer yesterday and said, um, you know, I, let's let's maybe not upload uh, President Trump's interview to my YouTube channel because um, he talked about election integrity and made some comments that, of course, you know, saying like the you know the election is rigged and we you know we know that um, there's fraud going on. Just those couple of buzzwords would get you a strike. And so I was making even without knowing I couldn't, I was already making the executive decision to not put that content on YouTube because I know that they're going to take it down. And that is effectively having a chilling effect on the content that we're creating. I mean, so this is just a very real life example of exactly what you're talking about, uh, Devin. And and I think it's it's so important for people to recognize the history of, of what happened in a very short period of time because uh, with taking down President Trump from uh, from Twitter, from Facebook, because he was so effective at circumventing the mainstream media, they were on the attack to get him off of those platforms. And I think your story is really fascinating because most people want to go from private corporations into government and into Congress specifically to effectuate change and advocate for the First Amendment and all of these things. You went the other direction. So why (laughs) did you think... Why? Why? And that to me is the fascinating element. Why do you mm-hmm. think you can be more effective in TMTG than you were in Congress? Well, you know, it's 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 a great question, and and it kind of it adds on to uh, the, the story that I that I that I told at the beginning of the interview here, and that is that uh, you know I, I I dealt with the whole Russia hoax, um, and you know we had to unravel the Russia hoax uh, in Congress, and. During that, you know, during that time frame, you know, we proved, uh, you know, w- without a doubt that that Hillary Clinton had paid for the dossier, that they had hired a spy, they laundered money through a law firm, you know, all of the stuff that we proved that, you know, that the only people that weren't colluding with Russians were Trump and Republicans. The people who were colluding r- with Russians were the Obama administration, all the Russia hoaxers that worked for Obama, and then, of course, now we're finding out the Bidens had direct uh, financial relations with Ukraine, Russia, China. I mean, there's you know now we learned Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's so so the only people that weren't that didn't have this problem were were Republicans. And but after the 2020 election, 
you know, I, you know, I had, I had been shadow banned. So I, you know, I was like, I told you, I, w- I had went to parlor, I had went to rumble. And then after 2020 election, in addition to president Trump and millions of Americans being kicked off all the platforms, there was polling that showed that over half of Americans believed that Trump and Republicans had done something nefarious with Russia and Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. And I just said, how, you know, how, how is this happening? And that's where I, I that's where I basically figured out, wait a second, it's because of the disinformation funnel, how people are receiving their, their information. You take 2016, Trump uses it to go to directly to the people. By 2020, despite congressional investigations, you know, thousands and thousands of news stories and media reports that blow the whole Russia thing out of the water, the only people that should have went to jail for dealing with Russia were were numerous Democrats, numerous people within DOJ, numerous people within the FBI, et cetera, et cetera. Yet half of America believed that it was Trump and Republicans that had something to do with Russia. And that's when I said, okay, look, I've been doing this for four years. Well, by that time, it had been five years because I didn't take the role until a year ago. So five years went by of my life where we couldn't break through. And that's why I said, look, you know, we've got to go out and build a whole new internet superhighway. If the internet's not opened up, then the American people will never have their voice. And, and I would say, you know, the number one thing that people can do is help us build this infrastructure. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, and I get into discussions all the time with a, with a lot of my friends and, 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 you know, they have good points that, well, you gotta be, you gotta be out there on Facebook and you gotta be on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, Twitter. And I'm like, okay, you know, look, you can go ahead and go do that. But I had five years doing it, and we weren't able to move the needle. Yeah, we had half of America that understood that the Trump and Brooklyn didn't have, didn't have anything to do with Russia. So you go ahead. You, you can stay on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not against that. But if you really want to make a difference, you have to open a true social account and a Rumble account, and you have to begin to post at multiple places because we're only the, – the only way we're going to break free and get over that 50 percent threshold – is by building a, a true place for free speech and a whole new internet where a Bill Gates or a Bezos or, a, or an Apple or, you know, I can go down the list, Facebook, where they can't influence us. We have to get big enough and, and work well enough that we become a, a place not just for politics and, and news and information, which is mainly what, what we do, you know, what we have now at True Social uh, and, of course, working with the Rumble. But we need to get into things like sports and culture and art and things of that nature. So we're building it true social. You know, we're building piece by piece so we can't be canceled. And we're building ways for people to social network. Which which is great. And I um, I was privileged to be one of the very first people with kind of the test accounts. And, and thank you for that because um, I, I use my true social account and want to have those, um, not just alternatives, those should become primaries. And th- that's, I think, is ultimately the goal. And if we don't, I mean, when we are canceled on, you know, Twitter or YouTube, if I didn't have my Rumble channel, then, you know, where would I go and, <laughs> yeah. and post episodes? Because I people yeah, just wouldn't hear like, from me. For two weeks, it's kind of like a, what I tell people is 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 it's like an insurance policy. You know, yeah. you're crazy not to to have both of the accounts, and it should be your you're exactly right. It should be your primary account because you know, True Social and Rumble are the only places where you can actually you know speak you know speak your mind and not be and not be canceled or shadow banned. 
So, so you're you're 100 right, and I and I make that argument all the time. I'm like, look, if you want to go play with the fascists at, at Facebook or anywhere else, go ahead. Like, I don't, I'm not stopping you from doing that, but you you have to make true social and rumble your primary. And look, that doesn't mean you can't post on. You can post exactly what you post on True Social, and you can just go over and put it on and, and put it on Twitter, or Facebook, or whatever. But to not put it on True Social and Rumble is just foolish because. As you just found out, you know, I didn't I didn't even know that till this morning. You know, you you got booted from YouTube. I mean, it's a real life example in real time that and look, people know you, Jenna. People know Donald Trump. People know me. You know, people they're you know, Dan Bongino's of the world, all these people that are out there that have been banned. But how about the millions of Americans that that have accounts that, that have been suspended, that have been banned? I mean, it's it's really and that's probably the best the, the best thing about being at True Social. Uh, over the last year has been to see so many people who would say, oh, my God, I got I used to know you on Facebook and I got kicked off. Right. It's so nice to see you again. You're people people that have, you know, they may only have, you know, 20 people that they interact with. But, you know, those 20 people are important. You know, they have relationships that were ruined, you know, by being banned by social media. And that's why we're, you know, two big important features we're building. We're coming out now with our native android app so so it'll be a much faster the app's going to work much better we're actually going to begin testing it this week and then the big thing that we're building are groups so if people are used to facebook groups we're going to have groups so you don't have to be relying if you're if you're part of some group Good. on facebook you'll be able to form that a similar group on true social Excellent. Well, and in just the last you know, 30 seconds I have with you, uh, Devin Nunez, do you think that there is hope for Twitter now that Elon Musk has taken it over? Or is this visibility filtering uh, still going to persist? Well, President, President Trump and I have been very supportive of Elon Musk, you know, because our goal here with this company is to open the Internet back up. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. So you can't put all your eggs in that basket. I mean, we want him to be successful, but... At any given time, you know, he could still boot you off and people are people are still being booted off every day on Twitter. Yeah, very, very true. I mean, still being booted off YouTube. So um, but Devin Nunez, thanks so much. And uh, please continue your great work and uh, hope that you will join again soon. And everyone should create a true social account. I have it. Um, you want to make sure to expand your platforms and your voice. And uh, we'll be expanding our voice each and every weekday morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio Network. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.